Good morning, everybody. So glad to see you, and equally, and maybe even more so, glad to hear you. You sound really great today. As we're considering the gift of worship and what it means for us to be a community that worships together, I want to bring us to a place, uh, John chapter 4. It's at the end of a really great conversation that Jesus had with a woman by the well that's all about worship. And if you want to go back and review that story this week, uh, it'll be great because it's just such a great conversation. But it concludes with Jesus saying these words to her, and I believe he's saying these words to us today. It's the voice of our Lord saying, but the hour is coming, and it is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, thank you so much for the gift of this word. Thank you, Lord, that these words were spoken out so many centuries ago, and yet they, they ring today with such a radiance for us today, God, because we know that that hour was coming, and it is now here when you are seeking people to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, I pray to you this morning as you continue to work that out in my own heart, that, Father, we would be together on that journey of learning what it's like to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, this is a work that I am inefficient to be able to do. It's your work, so Holy Spirit, come amplify these words in our hearts. Restore us in our passion to worship you in spirit and in truth, I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for being here. We are in a series. It's a short one, but hopefully really impactful. It's called Why Worship? Because I'm the kind of person that doesn't like to do things that I don't really understand what I'm doing. You ever have that where you're in an experience where you're like, I'm not sure what I'm doing here. I, like, I don't like to have that feeling of being lost. Honestly, that's one of the reasons like Target has all the directional signs for where the bathrooms are because people don't like to be lost, right? And so I don't like it if, if it feels like we're lost in the first 15 or 20 minutes of the service with all the singing and the stuff. Because it's like, wait, what are we doing? Why are we worshiping? And so uh, foundationally, this has hopefully been an exercise in, in, in the practicals. What are we doing as we worship together here at church? And so it started off two weeks ago. We talked about why do we stand? What's with all the standing? And there's actually quite a bit of meaning that comes along when we, when we stand together in worship. And you can hear that teaching online if you weren't here for that. Then last week we talked about what's with all the singing? You know, I remember as a non-believer coming in, and I thought, what is this, like, like karaoke? What is this? But it's more than that, and we talked about what does it mean when God's people get together and we sing his praises? What is he doing in us and through us and around us? And so that teaching again last week. Uh, this week, I want to conclude with, maybe you're like, why didn't he do this in the very beginning? What does it mean to worship? What does it mean to worship? And obviously, we're setting us up uh, for participation in the Lord's Supper today, the table. But what does it specifically mean for us to worship as Jesus was inviting us to in spirit and in truth? And so we're going to explore that a little more. But again, I hope this is really foundational, practical stuff that whether you're one who comes in and you're ready, you know, you're like, okay, here it is. This is maybe one of my favorite parts of the service, participating in worship. Or if you're someone who's like, I don't know if I'm quite getting it. I don't know if I get it. The essentialness of the Holy Spirit is what I want to talk about this morning. The Holy Spirit is essential 
for us to fruitfully participate in the act of worship. It's essential. This is a, a quote from uh, St. Basil, third century theologian. I think he also made a really great tomato sauce. He said, he said, for it is impossible to worship the Son, save or accept by the Spirit. It's impossible to worship the Son, saved by the Spirit. It's impossible, he said, to call on the Father, except or saved by the Spirit of adoption. Now, this is a guy who, by, by time and experience, was so close to the time of the Lord, and he really meant it when he said it, like he really studied and lived out the act and art of worship, and this is was his words to us that continue to radiate today. In other words, the Holy Spirit is essential for us to be able to fruitfully participate in worship. And I love how he connects it. It's also kind of, ooh, that he connects it to the idea that it's even possible for us to call on God as Father, to have a relationship with him, if it's not something that is radiated in our heart by the Holy Spirit. So in other words, the Holy Spirit is essential for us to be able to participate in true worship, in true worship, just as Jesus was saying, the Father is seeking that today. There's a, there's a, a to even understand the basic gospel requires the movement of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So what if, what if worship isn't our thing? What if worship is something that we're like, eh, I'm just not sure. I just, you know, I come in, I'm kind of hanging out in it. It's okay. I, it, I was saying it really would be better just to confess that, just to be like, I kind of come in and there's all the singing and it sounds cool and maybe I kind of go on, but I'm really not sure if I really feel it and I'm really getting it. I've used a couple different ways to describe this phenomenon. Like, it's like you're sitting in the back row or in the back seat or the cheap seats, you know? Where you're there, you're there, but you're not really in it, you know? Or maybe you're, 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 your spouse uh, or your parents are people who are particularly vibrant in their worship. You're like, what, what is going on with them? Why are they like that? It's, it's okay just to confess that, just to say, you know, I don't know if I really get it. That's a great place to start is just say, I'm not sure if I really get it. Now, I can relate to that. I have two distinct seasons in my life, and again, I haven't always been a, a believer. One of them, I remember, was uh, in middle school. My mom had come to Christ, uh, which I thought was a little bit weird, because I was like, well, who? Like, she did what? But she started bringing me to this church, and it was a, it was a tiny little neighborhood church, and there was a, a Baptist uh, pastor that was, uh, you know, particularly, you know, excited guy, and he would always pull out his guitar, and he'd start playing, and then he'd preach and stuff, and we had these little books, these little hymnals that we'd read in, and there'd be songs in there, and I was like, I mean, it's kind of fun, I suppose. It's sort of weird music. You know, this was the 80s, and I just wasn't into that kind of stuff, right? And so I was there, but I wasn't really there, and as soon as I could not, I guess, go with her, I stopped. I had another season, though, as an adult, where friends were, hey, you know, Simon, we should, you should come to church with us. I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. We'll go out for lunch after. Okay, deal. Let's go for lunch. That sounds great. So I'd go to church, and, and I'd, I'd stand there as the singing was going on, and I just remember being really thoughtful, critical in my head, like, well, what are they singing about? Was your breath, your lungs? Do I believe that? Do I believe it's the breath in our lungs? Pour out our prayer. What does it even mean to pour out? Like, I was, honestly, I was reading the words a lot and trying to figure out, like, what does that mean? Do I believe that? I don't want to sing something I don't believe. I don't want to be insincere. And it was really kind of frustrating because I'm like, I see everyone else around me seems to be kind of into this and I felt kind of disconnected. 
So it's important for us to go, hey, maybe that's just not my thing yet. It's okay just to confess that and to begin there. I just haven't got it. And I really hope this series has been helpful for you. So then you ask yourself, I'm not really a worshiper. Maybe you've said that. Like, it's not really a worshiper. Actually, the truth is you actually are. We all are. We're kind of made for that. That's part of the, the way that God has crafted us and created. We're people of worship. We may not always realize we're doing it, but there's a lot of writing that says, actually, worship is something we're kind of doing all the time. This is a, a quote from a, a, a secular author, but as quoted by Pastor Tim Keller in his book, Center Church, and he goes on to talk about this in more detail, but the basic idea is this, that everyone is always in worship. You don't have to be on a church on a Sunday morning with a band playing or an organ going to worship. Everybody's actually always in worship. We're always worshiping something. The only choice that we have in it is what are we choosing to worship? What does that mean that we're always in worship? Well, it means that we wake up and there's, there's a drive to us. There's a flow to our thoughts. There's a purpose to our day. There's a passion that we have. There's things that were important to us. That as we get going in our day, every day, and even our life story, those are the things that we're focused on. That becomes the places where we're placing our worship. Some might even call them our passions, the things that we're excited about. Whatever we get up and we think about, like, that's what I'm going to do today, that's the focus of my day, or when there's trouble that comes and you're like, that's where I go to get some peace or some relief, that's the places you're going when you worship. And if it's anything but God, then we have a little problem because that's called idolatry. If our hearts and the direction of our hearts and the direction of our day and our passions on a regular basis are something other than God, then that we have to be real careful with that because that can be idolatry. I know it's a big word. I know it's a scary word. Didn't idolatry stop at the end of the Old Testament age? Don't they just stop talking about that? No. No. But they did talk about it a lot in the Old Testament because it was just part of their upbringing. It was part of the world they lived in. They were trying to live for God, but then... Everyone around him wasn't. Going back to the Old Testament, if you, hey, if you want to read uh, really great passages about worship, Isaiah, the whole book is great. There's 8 to 12 really great chapters in, in like the back part of it in the 40s that are so rich. If you have time this week, just read them. It's really all worship. And it's beautiful, beautiful words about God and his promises and how wonderful he is and how faithful he is and how forgiving he is and merciful and wonderful. And in the middle of that run, the author Isaiah is encouraged by the Spirit to stop for a second in his great passion, you know, writing his great, you know, poetry. He stops, and he identifies something going on with idols and worship, and he says this. This is on Isaiah chapter 44, great passages, but in verse 9, he just stops, and he observes this. You know, all who make idols are nothing, he says. And the things that they treasure, the people who worship these idols, are really treasuring something that's worthless. It's worthless. Beautiful chapters. And then suddenly he hits the brakes and he talks for a second about idolatry. Then he goes off to this really clever story, which actually Pastor Joy taught on a few months ago, uh, on this kind of ridiculous story of someone fashioning an idol and ends up really being a waste of their time and energy and resources. And that's what worshiping something other than God leads to. Nothing emptiness. 
So, we go back to worship. What does it mean if we start to catalog our passions, catalog our worship, take inventory of the things that we treasure and that are the flow of our day and our heart and our minds and our passions? What do we do? Where do we go? One author said, you know, what are the, the heart's affections? What are your mind's attentions? What is your soul's ambitions? Those are probably the things you're worshiping. But we know this about idols. They're empty. They don't work. Even Paul later uh, in the Areopagus, in, 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 he was like, look, I see you got all these really great statues to a God you don't know. What attention that is, right? So if you want to get an idea of where you might be expending your worship energy, look at not just the things that bring you joy, Look at the things you worry about. That's more likely where you're spending your time in worship. Wait, what do you mean by that? What do you mean I'm worshiping the things I'm worried about? Because we wake up with these drivers in our mind that we're trying to deal with these problems, we've got these things we've got to do, and they end up being empty. Let me give you some examples. You know, one, one might be, let's just call it right out, money, security. I just got to have more and have more and secure it so it's okay. But it's never really okay. It always feels like it's going somewhere. It never feels like enough. I know people that have amassed great fortunes, and it never, ever feels like enough. It's empty. What about your, your health, your beauty, maintaining your youth, but then always feeling like you're falling behind or falling apart? What about your social status? What about your sense of success among your peers and that you can stand proud when you're in a crowd, but then at the same time, always dealing with that insecurity of like others have more and are doing better than I am. What about your politics? What about maybe even your love of country in the sense that we have to have it all together here? Meanwhile, you ever notice this, that people on either side of the political spectrum always feel like they're losing? Because even that can be an idol. Even that can draw our worship and it ends up being nothing. What are you worried about? Where do you put those energies? Where do you think about when you get up? What drives your day? If it's something other than God, most likely it's drawing you into a place of worry. Now, here's the weird part. There's a really thin line between worry and worship. There's a really thin line between what we worry about and that, those drivers of like success and power and beauty and affection and love and worship. These things on that side of the line, or the worry line, are always going to be never enough. They're never going to satisfy, but there's a thin line between worry and worship, and it's important to cross. Because whatever we're worshiping, whatever we're spending our energy on, whatever we're thinking about, whatever's a driver of our heart, if it's not honoring the Lord, it's never going to be enough, and it's always, always going to leave us wanting more. This is why Jesus asked so often in crowds and among people, like, what are you worried about? Why are you so worried about this or that? Just look to God. What we worry about in the sense of worship does make us bow down. You can see that in the posture of the picture. Like, oh, we bow down to the things that we worry about. Worship is the opposite. Worship points us up to God and his promises and his love and his hope. Worship has us looking down. We bow down to those things, but we look up in worship, and that's an important line for us to cross. So before we move on and get to the table, I want to offer you three ways that we can begin, even today, worshiping 
more fruitfully in spirit and in truth. And the first one might be obvious. Turn away from all idols. Turn away from them. Turn them off. Other things that are consuming your passions, other things that are drawing you to worry, other things that are taking your time and your energy, turn them off because they're never going to be enough. It's always going to consume. What's taking your time, your energy, your thoughts, your joy, your passions? What's give, what are you giving time to and energy to that's leaving your heart empty and anxious and worried? Do you have passions or wor uh, worships in your lives that are leading you away from God, leading you away from God's best, taking you out from trusting Him in His kingdom? How do you do that? Is that that simple, just to turn away from idols? Kinda. I got a two-letter two two word for you that really helps. No. I've used it five or six times already this morning in, the, in just getting ready to come here and get going out for coffee and coming in this morning. No, 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 no when my heart and mind starts to drift into other things that I want to worship. No, it really does help, actually. Try it sometime. No. Lord, I turn to you. Turn away from the idols. Turn them off. Say, God, I want to turn my worries into worship. I don't want to give my heart there. Just say no. That helps. Remember that Jesus said, the hour is coming and it's here now. When true worshipers, okay, that means there can be worship that's false, He's saying when true worshipers will worship the Father and spirit and the truth, and the Father is seeking, he's looking for worshipers like that right now. So when we say no to false worship and we say yes, that's step number one towards worshiping in spirit and in truth. Well, what's the truth? I'm going to get to the Holy Spirit in just a moment, but first I want to know what is the truth? When he says worship in spirit and truth, what truth are we supposed to be worshiping out of? And it's this, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you so much that he made you. He crafted you, handcrafted you, made you distinct and special of all the created things he's made in the universe. He made you special. He thought of you before he even gave you a breath. Before you came out of the womb, he knew you and he loves you. Ongoing, by the way. But he also sees the condition you're in. He sees that we're stuck in this muck called sin that infects our body and our, and our minds and our culture and it keeps us from experiencing the fullness of that love. And he loves us so much that he won't let us stay in that muck. So he came. In the image of his son, Jesus, one and only, he came. And he walked here. Why? Because love requires some physical expression. It's hard to say you love someone if you're not in touch with them, if you don't touch them. So God loves you so much, he sent his son, Jesus, to walk here, to be God among us. And he loves us so fully, he did the one thing that only somebody who truly loved you with a selfless love would do. He died. He died for you. To pay the price of all that muck. To set you free from that sin so that you can once again have a relationship with him that is not about shame, but about love and grace. And then, even more, he took his son out of the grave, raised him to new life, and then brought him to the right hand of the Father, and he's there now. And he did that so that we can know the door has been opened for us to experience the gift and glory of eternal life. Never dying, always alive in the presence of God for eternity. 
Why does it have to be so long? Why does he want us to spend an eternity with him? Because it's going to take you that long to experience his love. It's so rich. More than a lifetime, a thousand lifetimes, an endless number of lifetimes be to experience the joy of being in his company. He loves you that dearly. That's the truth. That's called the gospel. That's the good news. So step number two to worshiping in spirit and truth, embrace the gospel as your truth. Take that story, that good news, that story of God's love, and embrace it as your truth, the rock in which you stand on, the treasure that you seek above all others, the passion of all your passions, and you say, that's the good news that I stand on. Let that be the story that other people, will, other people will tell about you. Oh, him? Oh, that guy? Yeah, no, he definitely knows the love of God. You can just feel it every time you're around him. Her? You can tell she has Jesus in her heart. It's just there. He's just there. Let that be the story that people tell about you as we embrace the gospel, and let that be our first passion. And let the passion of that, purity of that story be just the beginning of a rich relationship. That's why we sing, by the way. That's why we, we, we pray. That's why we worship. Because God loves us. And in Christ, he saves us. So embrace that gospel as your truth. Then, what do we do? Romans 12.1. This was a big passage for me in my, my early walk. Because it said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That's your spiritual worship. One of the most profound worship experiences I've ever had was uh, August 23rd of uh, 1998, that long ago, but it still feels so fresh. I had given my heart to Christ on that Friday the 21st. I went to church for the first time. Suddenly, I stopped thinking about all the lyrics and how weird they were. I was just in. I couldn't sing them loud enough. I was dancing in the aisles, and they didn't even allow dancing at the church. But I couldn't contain myself because I had embraced the gospel, and suddenly it was like I was filled with this fresh energy and passion, and it just, I don't care how stupid I look. I just want to share the joy that I have for that gospel, that good news, and that became my story. So this is what he's calling us to do, and I've had other experiences since then, hopefully others still to come, and I've seen it in heart, others' hearts too. When we lay ourselves down, heart, mind, body, soul, and say, Lord, here I am, fill me with a fresh passion, because you are so good and so wonderful. That is our spiritual worship. So again, where's the Holy Spirit? What does he do? I've been reading this great book the last couple weeks. It had a really cool title, Why Worship? It was just published in the UK. I loved it. I was searching something else, and I was like, oh, no kidding. That's great. A lot of good essays from pastors, theologians, and worship leaders about what it means to worship in spirit and truth, and this quote caught me. See, the Holy Spirit works through our worship, in our worship, to connect us and relate us to the living reality of the risen Jesus. Maybe you're one of those who are like, Oh, the gospel? Yeah, I know, I, I get it. I get it. 
I get it. I believe it. I believe that it happened, but it just hasn't worked its way to its heart. That's the Holy Spirit's work. He will take the historic reality of what God has done in Christ and move it from head knowledge to heart knowledge. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And so to worship in spirit and truth is to open ourselves to the Holy Spirit and say, will you fill me and lead me in worship? That's step number three. Turning away from things that we worship otherwise, embracing the gospel as our truth. And the third one, Lord, just ask him, Lord, will you fill me with a fresh passion and a desire to worship you and spirit and truth? And here's what's amazing. That's a prayer he answers every single time. Maybe instantaneous, it may take a moment. He's there every time for you. This is why, and maybe you've seen people like this. Oops, I missed a slide there. Uh, that's why worship looks like it does. Anyway, it's the arms up one. You ever been around somebody at church where you're like, what are they doing? What is that? Come on, get over yourself a little bit. You ever notice that posture looks a lot like surrender? I give up. I'm tired of fighting it. Lord, will you fill me? I, I submit myself today as a living sacrifice. I know that I'm made holy and I know that I'm made pleasing to you because of what Jesus has done. But I open myself today. Will you fill me and lead me by your spirit to worship you in spirit and in truth? He'll answer that prayer every time, every time. Before we come to communion, I want us to spend a moment in prayer asking that. And it begins like this, and I'm going to have you fill in the blanks in your own heart. The worship team can come up if they'd like. As we say it together, Lord, I confess to you that I have focused my worship on. And then make the list in your mind. Have God reveal it to you. What have you been worshiping? Where have you been spending your passions? What are you worried about? Lord, I confess to you that I've focused my worship on. Take a moment and ask God to reveal those things to you. Maybe it's control. Yet always feeling out of control. Maybe it's wanting to be loved and never feeling good enough. Maybe it's that you're going to be alone and never appreciating the people that are around you enough. Maybe it's that you're a failure as a, a spouse or a, a parent and that keeps you up at night. And then we cross the line from worry to worship as we continue to pray together today. Pray with me. I turn from these, accepting that you alone can forgive me and fulfill me. Is that your prayer? Continue with me praying. And I praise you that in his dying, Christ saves us from our sin. In his rising, Christ opens the door to eternal life. May our hearts be set first on this good news. Lord, fill us fresh with your Holy Spirit today as we seek to live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Now to the table.